You're listening to a Metro podcast. You're listening to Metropolis, Metro News podcast about urban affairs and life in Canadian cities. I'm one of your co-hosts, Luke Simcoe, and I'm here with Matt Elliott and Claire McWatt. Uh, she's a community advocate and youth coordinator here in Toronto. She works with Volunteer Toronto, and I've actually kind of spoken with her uh, every now and again in my role as a journalist. Uh, I think the last time was when she was uh, kind of organizing this pizza party uh, urbanist thing uh, where people could come together, eat pizza at different joints across the city and, and talk about civic issues. But she joins us today uh, to talk about Salt Lake City. Uh, she just came back from a trip there, and I kind of saw her on Twitter just talking about all this cool urbanist stuff that's happening in Salt Lake, and I was kind of surprised about it. So I just asked her to come on the show, uh, and we love talking about how our own cities compare to other places. So this is just another opportunity to do that. So uh, welcome to the show, Claire. Thanks for having me. Not a problem at all. So why go to Salt Lake City? Well, we went for snow. Right. Uh, we were looking for snow. As much as there are, you know, hills like Blue Mountain mm-hmm. and Mount St. Louis. In Ontario and, here, yeah. yeah Centennial, <laughs> <laughs> the former garbage dump. Um, we wanted, my partner and I wanted a bigger mountain mm-hmm. and we wanted there to be guaranteed snow. So we hopped on like the worst connecting flight, <laughs> including a Greyhound bus from Buffalo uh, wow. to Atlanta and then into Salt Lake City because we found a cheap ticket. Right. That's like the least direct way to it get. It was not fun. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So what was it like kind of have you had you ever been there before? No, never been. Uh, and again, it was weird because we weren't expecting to go there. Uh, so we didn't get to do a lot of that like, hey, you know, what are we going to see there? What are we going to find? All we knew was Book of Mormon was funny. <laughs> <laughs> what is this place like? Mitt Romney's a man that exists. <laughs> exactly. <Yeah. laughs> funny fact, Mitt Romney has a, uh, a cottage in Bayfield, Ontario. Wow. Beer. Oh, wow. How'd you find <laughs> that out? Because uh, my family's from Lonsboro, which is a small little, inter- basically an intersection there by a small town called Goderich, if you've heard of that. Yeah. Yeah, so Bayfield's just south of there, and everyone's like looking for Mitt Romney all the time. <laughs> People just walk around where's going, where's Mitt? Mitt? Yeah. <laughs> where's Mitt? Wow. Well, the Mitt Romney fans are going to be fascinated by that tidbit. <laughs> um, but I think you're kind of like I am when, when I travel, I get all like nerdy about the city, right? This was not a trip where you just wanted to spend all the time like on a mountain, right? You decided to check out the urban infrastructure. So... First impression, Salt Lake City, uh, someone from Toronto, who, or someone who lives in Toronto these days. Uh, first impression, where's the park? Right. Uh, I grew up in High Park, so I'm used to being spoiled by trees and green space. So mm-hmm. this was very strange. Um, lots of concrete. Mm-hmm. Um, it was very immediate. Uh, it was very clear the second that you land that there is mountains. Yay, it's beautiful. It's sitting in this little valley. But there is a lot of concrete between those mountains. Um, if you look at how it was planned, there are it's, the streets are very square. It's very grid, mm-hmm. intentionally that way. Um, but the biggest thing you'll notice is the size of the streets. They're massive. It's the biggest streets I've ever seen. Hmm. Imagine the intersection of Avenue... I mean, avenues, um, University and Spadina. Right. But all the time. Hmm. Everywhere. Are the sidewalks also big or? No. <laughs> no. I kind of knew the answer to that one, but you got to ask, right? No, they yeah. are quite small. <laughs> They're small. And um, it, there is change happening on the ground, which is interesting. There's bike lanes. Mm-hmm. And there's bike lanes to places that you wouldn't even guess, like the airport. 
you can actually cycle to the airport. Wow. And this is in a city that gets 150 centimeters of snow in three days. Wow. And I, did you see cyclists? We did. We saw lots of cyclists, and I got all excited and took lots of photos. <laughs> <laughs> is it like a long bike trip to the airport, or is the no. airport kind of close to the city? It's very, very close. It's much closer than Pearson. Um, think like the island airport. Close, like it's, very close. This is fascinating for me because one of the things that you know, there's people in Toronto that are anti-bike lane, and some of them have newspaper columns. And <laughs> one of the sort of critiques they always have is that you know bike lanes are a waste in Toronto because we have winter. And my favorite thing is like the anger they get about bike lanes, the more they exaggerate the length of winter. Oh, so yeah. it starts by saying, what good's a bike lane? You can't use it four months a year. And then it's like, you can't use it six months a year. And then suddenly winter is 10 months long, which is not even close <laughs> to an actual thing that happens, but this is Salt Lake City, and you're saying that it gets way more snow than we get. Way more. Way more. And yeah. there are still these cyclists out in the winter months going to the airport or wherever. Going wherever. And what was really interesting was that they were larger bike lanes than what we have. Okay. Like, it's physically large. Because everything's larger. It's just, <laughs> I think it's big in Texas. It's way bigger in Salt Lake. Um, but people were using them. And, the, you know, it was cold. There were snowstorms. But people, were, they, they were being cleared. Hmm. The city was clearing them uh, for the most part. What you also saw was these large snack downs. If you want to get real nerdy, the snowy <laughs> neck downs in the corners. But Luke, tell us about snack downs. You wrote a story about snack downs. <laughs> I've written lots of stories about snack downs. Snack downs are that, like, the area on the road that gets revealed when it snows, and it's this where the snow sticks around because cars aren't driving right. through it. So you can really, it, it's this kind of shortcut that a lot of urban planners and other people like to sort of get an actual sense of how much of the road is used by cars and isn't. And some cities have done interesting things with them, like they've sort of charted them out, and if they realize that a whole portion of the roadway never gets used, they'll put, like, a pedestrian refuge island there or some trees and green space or you know any kind of other additional infrastructure or in some cases it's allowed them to see that there is room for bike lanes or what you know what have you on the road so yeah i imagine in a city with a whole lot of snow you get a whole lot of snack downs <laughs> the benefits of being a snowy city yeah. in a cold climate yeah they were they were there and they were present uh, but you could see how i mean i don't know if this is technically true but the lanes were planned around that like hmm. there was enough space but that's also because there is just so much space. Hmm. And it's fascinating. I mean, you were talking about certain columnists who like to talk about how long winter is. Yeah. The thing about being a snowboarder and an urbanist at the same time means you love to look at weather, like, obsessively. You're constantly into, like, you know, baby meteorology where you're <laughs> looking at snow patterns. And you have, like, the effect. radar maps up and you're All trying to decipher time. them. Yeah. yeah, like, six radar apps. <laughs> <laughs> but because of that, like we would really notice when last year there was no snow. Hmm. So for reporters to be saying that, oh, you know, it's so snowy. What about snowy Toronto? It's, it wasn't. We didn't get any snow. And you know, areas like Salt Lake get tons of it and clear it very fast. Hmm. Well, you've talked about how wide the roads are, which makes me think this. You know, these were designed for cars. But how are this? How is Salt Lake City doing on transit these days? Well, they they have what's called the track system, T R A X. And if you talk to the locals, they love it. It's a light rail system. There's, uh, I think, four lines. Um, The newest one was an expansion to the airport and two other kind of smaller suburban cities in the area. And and that was funded through a sales tax increase in part with federal funding. Hmm. We see this a lot in American cities, this idea that they're building light rail with sales taxes or other kinds of taxes that were actually voted on in referendums, in many cases, by the people. And... 
I got to say, as someone in Toronto, I hear about this and I my mind sort of melts a little bit. Like this is a thing that is happening in Utah. Well, and it's not Utah. just here, right? Because it's like Vancouver voted it down. That's, that's, the, the city we would most expect yeah. to like vote for transit what? said no, right? Yeah. And it just is, it's, it's a big sort of question mark in that how do we, you know, you, you wouldn't think in Toronto we'd be saying, how can we be more like, like uh, Salt Lake City in Utah or whatever, but <laughs> I, I'm feeling it now. Like I'm jealous of that. Yeah. And I mean, if you speak to the people and, you know, my partner gets at me for this all the time because I like to talk to strangers like, oh, constantly, fine. like it's, it's, it's bad. <laughs> I will always talk to random people. Um, but because of you there, how do you like your light rail transit <laughs> yeah. system? But actually, though, is like, this I'll a Bombardier be, car? Yeah, getting a coffee, I'm like, so tell me about your sales tax system. <laughs> what do you think of your local representatives? <laughs> your ballots look like. <laughs> like Claire, get out of there. <laughs> we gotta go. Um, but you know, because of that, you get to meet a lot of really interesting characters. And I mean, they just had a, what we know is a very famous election. Yeah, I heard about uh, that. Yeah. So asking them, you know, what do you think of that? They're like, well, you know, our sales tax so is about 2%. And it's different in certain boroughs. You'll drive for about five minutes and it's a different sales tax, hmm. which was very strange. 2% in some places, 4% in others, 3%. And I'm going like three. Did you understand? Like, did they explain the basis for that? Like that kind of like micro level granularity vis-a-vis sales tax revenue? Vis-a-vis. Not not really. They just, they all kind of looked at it as, eh, yeah, it's a thing we do. Okay. I'm like, in in Toronto, you know, we pay 13%. Right. Used to pay 15. Yeah, we used to pay 15. (laughs) Uh, But we get healthcare. (laughs) That is is probably a key difference. Yeah. So this is light rail in a snowy climate, which again is something people in Toronto say just cannot be a thing that exists, but it does exist, you're telling us? Oh, big time. And, and, and it's well used. Hmm. It's very well used. And they love it. The people there absolutely love it. Even the people who don't take it because they drive right. say, yeah, you know, we like it. One person, uh, an Uber driver. So we decided we're like, let's test out their Uber because we're that nerdy. Sure. Um, <laughs> <laughs> we met a driver who said that he saw a, a decrease in traffic because of more people using the transit system. Hmm. We, we need to like get that guy on billboards sort of he's he hides under the desk and every time someone brings it up you can be like but yeah <laughs> but Salt Lake City and when we were driving into the city off of our flight coming in we had a cab driver who told us that the bike lanes because I mean immediately I'm getting nerdy right um, the bike lanes made him feel safer hmm. wow in terms of cyclists that is I, I you can always like talking to cab drivers is a useful exercise Absolutely. because they will tell you all kinds of things about the city. And uh, I'm surprised and impressed that you, a cab driver in this city, actually was positive about <laughs> infrastructure because my experience is usually the opposite Absolutely. when I talk to them. But um, yeah, no, I mean, this is, you're really painting kind of a utopian picture here with uh, for an urbanist with, you know, you got LRT, you got bike lanes, you got uh, people using both those things to get around. Uh, yeah, I kind of want to go to Salt Lake City. What's it like sort of at street level, right, to use that kind of famous expression? Because that's another sort of climate thing that we deal with sometimes, right? We When we did the Edmonton episode with Tim, we talked about their, like, skywalks, yeah, which, are, right. which are designed out of this belief that no one wants to be walking along the sidewalk during wintertime. And so I'm kind of curious, was there kind of like a vibrancy at street level, or, or is it this kind of wide streets, no sidewalks, no pedestrians, or was that, or is that like a misnomer? It depends where you go. So the 
everything in Salt Lake, and it's because it was planned this way. Uh, it's planned by a Mormon theory called the Platts of Zion, which is actually, yeah, totally true. <laughs> went a direction Joseph, I did not expect. Yeah. <laughs> Joseph Smith had a prophecy um, from an angel that said that you need to go build a Mormon utopia in what was then Mexico, which is why <laughs> why they went uh, down to Salt Lake to build their magic fantasy um, space. And it, they they had things in there, like you need wide streets. So they were built, it, it, the actual religion states that you need these wide streets. Wow. The joke in Salt Lake is that you can, they're built that way so that you can turn a wagon around. Mm. And, That's fair. Um, Okay, yeah. So what are the other principles? Like, I need to know yeah. the other <laughs> principles that were handed down by the angels, right? Yeah, yeah. and actually, so when you get into the center of the city, so the Temple Square, um, this this big fancy temple, you're not allowed to go in it, Okay, but um, they have this like 10-minute parking on the side. Everyone uses this 10-minute parking, and the light rail goes by there. Everything is about Temple Street, and all the streets are named based on how far away from the temple they are. <laughs> so they're all given these numbers, like 200 and 300 south Hmm. Where are you? It means you're two two blocks th- and three blocks this way. Oh, that's actually Edmonton. If you ever been to Edmonton, yeah. Edmonton's grid actually works that way. Too, so you have these incredibly long address numbers, but they explain like what the streets and stuff are. Although I don't know, I don't think it was like a probably not a Mormon thing. Yeah, I don't no. think so. <laughs> this was a Mormon thing. It was that everything leads back to the temple in the center, and so when you go and tour the temple, which of course we had to. Um, there's this museum mm-hmm. and the Platts of Zion is actually there. You can look at the original, the plan for their Zion and everything is called Zion. The bank is Zion. Zion refers to utopia. So you said it, it sounds like an urban utopia. Yeah. That's what they were going for. Ah. Um, did they get there? I would say no. Hmm. Um, because on street level, unfortunately, uh, a lot of the people that you see walking are visible minorities uh, we have people of color a lot of um a lot of street involved folks the homelessness rate there is very very clear uh that and substance abuse i would say is a very serious problem and you can see it on the street you feel it as a presence but that's the further way you get from the center <laughs> that that zion the temple and the temple is a shining jewel and you go to the little museum and you go to the service and it seems everything's great <laughs> And then you walk like two or three blocks and, and there's poverty, really serious poverty. Hmm. I know that's like a downer. Yeah. Just kind of, I was really excited about these like religious urban planning principles and now it's just sort of poverty. And I know it always seems kind of spurious to say it, but that's generally my experience of going to American cities too, is that stuff's just more visible. It doesn't mean that it's not here in Canada and that we don't struggle oh, yeah. with it and all that kind of stuff. But like you just see a lot more homelessness, a lot more substance abuse, you know, like the, the legacy of like the wars and stuff like that so you, when you see homeless people they're like missing legs and you know these sorts of things and it's really it can get kind of depressing um, but let's just kind of quickly change tax what else excited you about <laughs> you know about Salt Lake like what was something neat nifty that you saw what I thought was really cool was there's this camaraderie. So if you're, you know, if you're a snowboarder or a skier, mm-hmm. uh, there's a bit of a camaraderie between the resorts there, which I, I think the community really understands makes their money in terms of uh, bringing in tourism and the the local shops. So the small businesses that end up benefiting from that. So you get the ski shops, snow shops, and there's this, um, you know, on Utah tourism network or or you know government body that will give like cheap lift tickets and they'll let the um they'll let the stores sell them and so they they make money the the hills make money everybody wins uh, so there's a bit of, there's a bit of a camaraderie there that that's really cool 
and it's bringing with it this kind of snowboarder skier culture, more progressives. Hmm. So if you look at the the stats from the last election, uh, Hillary Clinton won Salt Lake. Yeah. And I'm not surprised because that's where the people lived. Hmm. Well, yeah. And, you know, if you're providing better transit, you're providing bike lanes and things like this, like there is like a feedback loop there that, that starts to, to develop. So I guess it's not surprising. Did like did the Dems carry it the election before or? I'm not sure about the election before. What I what I did think was strange is that they didn't uh, that's a that's a district in terms of the house and, and the senate and they didn't win that the republicans did it's fully red hmm. um so i mean you'd think especially because hillary did very well in in that um that district as well as the one right next to it and you'd think that maybe they'd pull out the house representative it didn't happen hmm. so i you know you gotta wonder what's going on there right could be kind of a transition, uh, transition time uh, politically or ideologically or whatever. Yeah, mm-hmm. or they might. Yeah. I don't know. Um. <laughs> <laughs> what people seem to want to talk about there, if you strike up a conversation and compare it to your city, so of course I'm talking about the Toronto perspective, is uh, the rules around alcohol. Hmm. They say, "Oh, you'll see, you can't get a drink anywhere." I said, "Oh, we understand state rights. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> don't worry, we have that. Uh, except they only have two, and they close at 7 p.m. Two bars." Two liquor stores. Two liquor stores. Oh, wow. In the entire city? Yeah. Are they like, <laughs> kind of like mega Walmarts? Like, you know what I mean? Or... I don't know. We could never get there by seven. So we didn't but I'm looking at my Google Maps and there's only two. And I was like, what do you mean you have two liquor stores? I don't serve. And then you can buy a beer that's under 4% at grocery stores and gas stations. But that's what you see the community kind of depending on. Mm. And particularly the folks with substance abuse issues depending on. Yeah. So that alcohol policy is not something we would want to bring to Canadian cities from Salt Lake City. But if is, is there like one thing that really stood out that you would say is a good thing that Canadian cities should emulate about Salt Lake City? I would say um, I would say the cycling network. Yeah. Yeah. And they have they have a bike share just like we do. And hmm. you can see people using it. And I think that if we were to continue to invest in those kind of of measures, what we can do is move toward that happier city, just right. just like they are, because people are using it and yeah. all around. But we have to stop villainizing it. Right? People, nobody there said a negative thing once about hmm. about their bike lanes. Nobody said a negative thing about the size of their roads, even hmm. though it's a problem. Everyone there had a really positive attitude and was excited that you were coming to their city. I think as Torontonians, so this would be the second thing, sometimes we disparage Toronto Mm -hmm. when we can. We like uh, to complain a lot. Yeah, we love to (laughs) complain. And we love to complain to strangers too. You find that you'll ask somebody who's who's here visiting, why why would you come to Toronto? I know. (laughs) What are you doing here? A tourist comes up and asks about a transit system and immediately people launch into like this big long rant (laughs) about how much it sucks, you know? Exactly. And I think that, that city pride and that ability to be positive about what you have, mm-hmm. understanding that you have things to work on right. is something that we could seek to adopt because we have a lot of potential yeah. here. I really am also jealous of the fact that they can like cite religion as uh, sort of the reason for city planning. Like, imagine how much easier debates would be if we could just say, well, God wills it <laughs> that yeah. there is a bike lane here or, you know, 
that kind of thing. Although I, I kind of like that as like a thought experiment, right? <laughs> it makes you realize potentially how sort of contingent things, because we have things like that. There are certain things in, in urban planning in cities that are just untouchable, right? right? Or are increasingly, you know, we're hoping that they become a little more touchable. But yeah, like, there's you, not really any dispute about a lot of the fundamentals yeah, like you can't, anymore. You know, it's, it's so hard to like take away a lane of traffic to add a bike lane or to, you know, expand a sidewalk or whatever the case may be. And those are those were almost like sort of religious prohibitions, you know? Mm. So it's kind of neat to <laughs> kind of, you know, imagine that and think about it in terms of the contingency of just the things that we take for granted in urban planning. I also think the bike share thing is kind of interesting because I know uh, here in Toronto and in a lot of other cities, those bikes tend to be these big machines, mm-hmm. right? But that's actually good for winter cities, right? Yeah, like really. there's plenty of people here in Toronto and I, and I think there's some in, in some other cities and Hamilton and all, all those places where people actually shelve their own bikes during the winter because of salt and, and other issues. And they ride around the monstrosities that are the bike share bikes in part because they don't have to worry about maintenance and all that kind of stuff, but it's also just safer, right? They don't, they're less likely to tip over in the snow. Mm-hmm. And so it's actually not surprising that those two things come together. Did you actually get a look at the bike share bikes? Like, are yeah, they the same, like, giant near tricycles that they we are, have? They or? are very similar. In yeah. fact, one thing I noticed, and I should have got a photo of it, but they had little, a bit bigger tires than ours do. Uh, tires what, were a little, bigger tires? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. I know. <laughs> like the ones we have. <laughs> they were, they were, I think they were bigger. They looked bigger. Yeah. I, th- I kept thinking, that's smart. Mm-hmm. Um, because... I remember when I started cycling for transport years and years ago, um, my partner told me, he's like, don't get skinny tires. They're going to get stuck in a in a streetcar line and you're going to break your collarbone. Go yeah. right over. And I said, you don't know what you're talking about. But then he was right. <laughs> <laughs> he was yeah, of course. Yeah, when, when I moved here, my Vancouver cycling friends were like, respect the streetcar tracks. Yeah. These lectures about like 45 degree <laughs> angles. Geometry. And like these, yeah. yeah. And as a result, I have not broken my collarbone. So Same. Yeah. Me neither. It's very safe. But, you know, there that wouldn't really be a problem because the light rail is in the center. Right. Of the track. You wouldn't, you're not, it's not going to cross. Are they dedicated lanes for the LRTs? Or? Yeah. Yeah, uh, and it's it's raised. It's completely separate from traffic, hmm. and you can tell that no uh, really? one no one looks unhappy. We need like that. two giant poster sized pictures. One of like an LRT vehicle in deep snow just moving along, and one of like a cyclist with like fifty centimeters of snow on the ground just cruising down a bike lane. Mm-hmm. I feel like politically, those would be very useful things to have. <laughs> well, absolutely, I I think that we make a lot of assumptions mm-hmm. here in Toronto. Because we think we know what's best, um, but we have to look to these other cities that you wouldn't expect, like Salt Lake, yeah. and say, you know, what are they doing? And then be willing to accept the uncomfortable political realities that come along with that. Yeah, I was thinking about that on the way here about how we always just like go immediately go to like New York or maybe Chicago yeah. or London or like these big sort of cities that everybody just rambles off the top of their head when they think of cities, but. There's things that we can learn from these smaller cities like Salt Lake City and uh, you know some of the other places in America that are not on the top of the list when you think about metropolises. Yeah, well, mm-hmm. I, in fact, I think we can learn more from them, right? You see it yeah. across the states and you, or like across the world, right? Like the most, and I think I've said this on the show before, the most interesting urbanist cities are the ones that are still being built, mm-hmm. right? Um, because they're learning from best practices yeah. from other places and implementing them and they have sort of more flexibility and room to grow and room to change. And so like it's, whether it's Pittsburgh or, you know, Salt Lake City or uh, is it, shoot, I'm not going to remember which one it is. Like Denver. Denver's yeah. done some really cool stuff yep. with, with yeah. transit and light rail. And so, yeah, you see that. I'm not yeah. actually that surprised. But I guess, like, how big is Salt Lake City? I'm like, I'm completely ignorant. Like, how many people live there? Uh, it, it's not big. But what it is is very suburban. Like, it's it's very much a sprawled out Vaughn 
and then a tiny little downtown, <laughs> and it, it looks it looks concentric like that. Like right. It's it's circular, um, but it doesn't. It, considering the size of the streets and the the very deep car culture, mm-hmm. um, there's still traffic, like pretty bad traffic on their highway system. There's a big highway that goes kind of up through the center of it, and if you get caught in it, good luck. The other thing is like. There's just a lot of road accidents. Hmm. In terms of safety, uh, we witnessed some really gory. What do you really, mean, like saw accidents? Yeah, That's not yeah. Just every day, is every single day, there weather? was a new accident. Really? Yeah, flipped yeah. cars. Um, one of them was really bad, hmm. it, and you know you could see that probably somebody had had died. It was it was very kind of gory. But every single day, there was a car in a ditch. There was a car off to the side. There was police. For a a winter city, they had some serious issues with with driving safety. Well, well, I think it's sort of a different kind of safety, but you were tweeting a little bit about sort of your perceptions of safety in the city. And I'm sort of curious to hear what you had to say about that. Yeah, I mean, because of the... You'd think that because of the, the, the very, very ingrained Mormon culture... There would be a lot more, you know, outreach workers on the street helping helping those street-involved folks, especially when there's been 70 centimeters in one night of snow and mm-hmm. there was nothing. There was a lot of these tent cities where people would be just erecting tents on a random street corner by a highway, um, by a park. And what you saw was a police force. We actually got in our car and, and just heating up the car. I'm waiting for my for my partner. He's in the hotel. And there's... Uh, two men who begin this fight right in front of us and like I don't want to share it but I had a photo because I was actually worried for the safety of both of them when the police showed up and started being rather violent mm. and we witnessed this like, I, like looking right at it right in front of us like, locked the doors and it's the middle of the day it's two o'clock in the afternoon on a Wednesday and there's this takedown and, and one of the cops has the taser out and of course these are two um, two Native Americans that are having this fight and and you're witnessing this super violent incident day to day. And yeah. so in terms of safety, that was the safety of their own people by the police force is a thing that you can, you can measure. And then the safety of, you know, yourself. So my own safety in walking one block without my partner, if, you know, he's, he's in the store grabbing, grabbing a Gatorade or something. And I'm standing outside and I'm immediately uncomfortable because of the presence of people who start, you know, leering at you or catcalling you. And I haven't felt that unsafe in a city, in multiple parts of the city as well, hmm. um, in, in a long time. It was present and it was all the time. Right. What do you, what do you chalk that up to? Like, it's not just the lack of police officers, obviously. Mm-hmm. Like, that's, that's not the issue we're talking no, no. about here. Yeah. <laughs> uh, is it just, is it eyes on the street? I mean, there's probably multiple things, but... Um. I reflected on it for a while and I would actually say that it's the sense of responsibility on on the part of the the people with privilege and power and those in elected office. I think that they have left they they opt into a lot of these kind of neoliberal me first ideologies and pull yourself up by your bootstraps. It's right. Definitely one of those states. But what you see as a result of that is a lot of people getting left behind. Hmm. And so folks, when they're in positions of vulnerability, um, 
they they resort to all kinds of things and so i don't even know i wouldn't say it's even their fault i think it's it's a lack of willingness to take responsibility on the part of those with privilege and power it's, it sounds interesting. It's like this very polarized city, as you said, right? Yeah. There's kind of a small urban core of the suburbs. And then you've got, you've got a place that has a sales tax for the purpose of building public transit, but then still sort of struggles with homelessness and, you know, priorities, right? They're always hard for kind of cities to sort out. We talked a little bit about um, what you'd like to bring home. I'm always kind of curious, and I don't think we ask this enough, really, because it kind of, as as you said, it reminds us what's good about our own places. What's one thing from your own city that you would like to bring there? I would like to bring parks. <laughs> I really felt that there wasn't enough public space. There's mm. church space. Right. And uh, actually, this was an interesting conversation with my partner in the car. And we were saying, you know, on their taxes, because a church has to function kind of like a nonprofit, uh, they got to spend all their money at the end of the year. So they build a lot of stuff. <laughs> they don't really need it. They'll build a temple. They'll build another temple. They'll build, hey, let's let's get take out an advertising campaign. If you see the the Latter-day Saints advertisements on on TV, yeah. you know, they have to spend their money. So I would like them to spend their money more the way that we do here in in I found in Toronto working in the nonprofit sector in taking care of their community. You know, walk the talk. If you're going to be about um, community engagement and outreach, do a little more of it. Um, understand that the border of your responsibility doesn't end at the edge of the temple that's all walled off. Mm. Go beyond that. Um, and then green space and park space because Utah itself, uh, and even while we were there, there was a news story that Obama had um, had protected a new park space in Utah, a national park. Um, so they've got these national parks, which is great. But what about urban parks? Right. Uh, we've got parkettes everywhere. They don't have parkettes. Yeah. It strikes me it's it's both of these things you're talking about, the sort of social infrastructure, the social services, and the urban green spaces are those things that you don't really appreciate enough until you go somewhere where mm-hmm. they don't exist, you know? And I'm not saying that Toronto is perfect or any Canadian city is perfect. There's so much more we could be doing. But mm-hmm. you, I have been places when you really realize, wow, I'm, I'm glad we have these things. Yeah. <laughs> well, there we go. A, a valuable lesson learned uh, and a call maybe for the Mormons to maybe reinterpret some of those urban planning (laughs) principles uh, sort of for the modern context. Uh, So thanks a lot, Claire. Um, It's always cool talking about other cities and learning about other cities. I think there are opportunities to reflect on our own circumstances and, you know, and carry that forward. So it's it's kind of a, it's a great, been a great conversation um, and a pleasure to have you on the show. So thanks for coming. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure as well. So you can follow Claire McQuatt on Twitter at at Claire McQuatt, C-L-A-I-R-E-M-C-W-A-T-T. Pretty sure I got that right. Thanks for listening to Metropolis, your podcast about livable cities. I'm Matt Elliott. He's Luke Simcoe. See you next time. This has been a Metro podcast.